0: Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm a queer, neurodivergent member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm on a mission to spread empathy and create inclusion and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. So here we are in episode four of Empathy Building for Latter-day Saints. Wow, it seems like the time has flied. And that's actually because I started this podcast only a few days ago. (laughs) So it feels like it's been a short time and it really has been a short time. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about OCD. OCD is terribly misunderstood. You probably heard jokes about OCD, things like, oh, let me straighten that picture frame on the wall. It's it's driving me uh, my OCD crazy or Oh yeah, I always have to clean my kitchen a certain way. I'm so OCD. It's just a common, common joke. It's OCD has almost been turned into like an adjective of a way to describe somebody who's organized and clean and on top of things or productive or whatever. Um, But the thing is OCD is not a positive descriptor of somebody. It is a debilitating mental illness that makes a person feel like they're in hell, basically. I really don't know how else to describe it. (sighs) But because OCD is a little bit of a heavy topic, we're going to take breaks now and then because I introduced you to the ocarina in episode three. And so now I just want to play a little bit for you. (laughs) So here's a Name That Tune. I'll play a couple lines, see if you can name the song. Did you figure out what song it is? Here's a little bit more. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. This is your last chance to name that song. Okay, the song is Danny Boy. And apparently it's Also, an Irish tune known as Londonderry Air, but I'm more familiar with Danny Boy. So, OCD. OCD stands for Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. And disorder, I think, is a key word there because this is a big cultural trend right now within the OCD community is that we're trying to, like, reclaim um, the word OCD and to portray it as it really is a debilitating mental illness. That's not to be made jokes about that shouldn't have that should not have jokes made about it um, rather than being like a positive, you know, descriptor or a hashtag. Hey, look how clean my house is hashtag OCD. So yeah, like a big, um, a big OCD, um, group called NOCD. It's a company started by a man who wanted to make OCD treatment more accessible. And I got my first treatment through NOCD, so very grateful for them. But NOCD has recently partnered with Howie Mandel to start like this hashtag no OCD movement. No as in K-N-O-W. So no OCD as in know what OCD really is. And start talking about it accurately. Okay. So people, when they think about OCD, they think of people who clean obsessively, um, people who wash their hands a lot, things like that. And that is a part of OCD. Um, man, there's a lot to explain here, so I'm going to try to do my best. So all OCD is the same it all comes down to this behavioral cycle, or the OCD cycle, that consists of a couple of things. First of all, a trigger. Triggers anything that instills anxiety in a person or causes this cycle to begin. And followed by by that, we have thoughts, feelings, um, sensations in your body, and then after sensations, We have some kind of behavior or compulsion to try to make it go away. And after that, we get this kind of little sense of relief. But it's not lasting relief with OCD. It is a little illusion of relief. Okay, I just want to point out the fact that in the beginning of the episode, I said time has flied. I know some of you are cringing right now. (laughs) I'm just going to correct that here and say time has flown. No, I'm overthinking this. I'm pretty sure that's the right way to say it. I did mention in my first episode that I prefer, I much prefer writing over conversation and speaking. So I'm glad we're all sharing a little bit of grace for each other here (laughs) and our grammatical errors. So to simplify this cycle even further let's just say it starts with an obsession which leads to distress and anxiety which leads to a compulsion to try to get rid of that distress the stressing feeling which really really which leads excuse me which leads to a short-term relief or this almost sense of relief a little temporary relief but unfortunately this little false temporary relief reinforces the compulsive behaviors in a person's mind and causes them to think, oh, that scary obsession I had, that scary thought or feeling I had must have been a real threat because I felt threatened by it, I did something to fix it, and then I felt better. So every time I feel that threatening feeling again, I'm going to always make sure I do those compulsive behaviors to make it go away to make sure I'm safe. This is a very scary cycle to be stuck in. The thing about people with OCD is they're still like doing research on this to really figure more out. But based on a lot of studies and research, there actually is like a chemical difference in a person who has OCD's brain. Um, And this basically means that certain parts of their brain are working harder than the average person's, and other parts are working less than the other average person's. Um, And for a person who has OCD, for most people, there's this kind of sense of resolve after you complete something, or you um, resolve something, you fix something. But for someone with OCD, we don't get that sense of resolve. And so that's why our relief is so temporary and we get thrown back into the cycle to seek that resolved feeling that we never really get. That sounds sad, and it is sad, honestly. Um so you've probably heard of OCD from like the show Monk or <laughs> other popular media. And for example, in the show Monk, if you've seen it, I haven't seen much of it, only maybe one episode. Um but this man is obsessed with with having to do certain rituals, like tapping fence posts as he walks by a certain number of times, or um, yeah, cleaning or organizing obsessively. And these are real compulsions that people with OCD have. What you don't see, though, is everything that's going on behind the scenes inside someone's head. So starting out with the obsessions in the cycle, the obsession is, it could be really any like sudden intrusive thought or feeling. So intrusive means it's something that's not wanted. So it's an unwanted thought or feeling that's out of the person's control. And everybody has these, but for most people, it's easy to recognize, oh, that's silly. That's a silly thought. That's a silly feeling. It's not important for me to focus on. For someone with, with OCD, it's very hard to differentiate that. And we tend to think that every, every thought or feeling that's intrusive is important of I'm like, okay, this must be, there must be meaning in this, it must be urgent, it must be important, so I better investigate. So we'll start with this intrusive thought or feeling. And let's say in Monk's, for, in Monk's example, um, and OCD is never logical, so keep that in mind. So you might see him in the show tapping fence posts or whatever. What you don't see is in his mind, there's an intrusive thought or feeling. It could just be the feeling of like, something's off. I feel really uncomfortable. I feel like something's wrong in my life. And maybe he taps the fence posts a certain in a certain pattern to um, kind of make himself feel better or to make himself feel right. Or it could be a thought of like, oh gosh, what if something terrible happens today to one of my loved ones or to myself? And in the OCD mind, it will latch on to some random solution that you need to do to make that not happen. And so then he'd be like, okay, I need to tap the fence post a certain way. Like I do every day because if I don't do it the right way every day, something terrible could happen to me or to somebody I love. Um, So yeah, there's, it's a really odd connection there. There's really not a connection between like the fear and the behavior that you're doing to neutralize the fear. So just know that if there's somebody who does have real OCD and they're and they're organizing obsessively, it doesn't mean their room's just very organized. It means they're spending hours upon hours upon hours reorganizing their room or re-vacuuming their floor or re-washing their hands even after the mission, like even after there should have been a feeling of resolve. There should have been a feeling of, okay, I washed my hands, they're clean. But for someone with OCD, they do not get that feeling of resolve. It's just again, 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 again. You do it once you get, oh, that's better. I think that worked. Oh, wait, no, it didn't work. I still have this uncomfortable feeling. I still have an intrusive thought. Let's do it again. So to be diagnosed with OCD, you need to be um, experiencing these kinds of cycles for like one or two hours every single day, basically to the point that it's interfering with your regular life. And some people experience these cycles every day, all day, basically, which is a very, very miserable place to be in. Okay, let's do a little ocarina. (laughs) I need a little break. Here it goes. This is a song I played last time, but I can't, I love it. I can't get over it. It's from Kiki's Delivery Service. practice more. I mentioned in my episode three that ocarina was a hyperfixation of mine and I basically learned how to play all the notes and lots of songs within two weeks of starting it and this is one of the songs I learned in that first two weeks <laughs> so I'm a little bit rusty. Okay OCD. Ooh, you know talking about OCD is kind of hard for me honestly. I sometimes am very disconnected from my feelings, so I just plow through and don't notice that I'm, you know, feeling a lot of emotion, Um, but OCD has taken a lot from me, and it's played a big role in my life, especially in the past 12 years-ish, probably longer, but especially the last 10 or 12 years, Um, and it's hard for me to think about sometimes. It's, it feels weighty to me, it feels heavy, because OCD has taken a lot from me. And it's taken me a long time to learn how to take my life back from it. Um, but I want to explain a little bit about more of my what my OCD looks like, because this is a side of OCD that most people don't understand. The thing is, most people don't understand OCD in general but those visible cycles those visible compulsions are easier to recognize so a visible compulsion is this obsessive compulsive cycle where the compulsion is something very tangible like um organizing the room washing hands again and again touching the doorknob again and again in a certain way flicking the light switch on and off um, walking certain patterns on the sidewalk Um, For me, my OCD, there's kind of a little term for this. It's called pure O OCD. Some people are familiar with that term. Some people aren't. But pure O OCD, it kind of stands for like purely obsessional OCD. So basically like my OCD is invisible to people. (laughs) And they call it purely obsessional, which does not make sense because there are compulsions involved. But the thing is, it's all happening inside of your own head. So it's much harder to identify. Most people don't know that OCD has, that can have invisible compulsions, mental compulsions. Um, yeah, someone can feel very trapped in that same cycle, the same way that someone would be if they were washing their hands again and again and again and again, but in their head. And this is the the case for me. I have very few like visible compulsions. I do check my bag a few too many times when I'm grocery shopping because I, I zip up my bag and then I think, Oh no, what if my credit card fell out of the bag while I was walking around the grocery store? So I unzip the bag, open my wallet. Oh, my credit card is still there. Close the wallet, close the bag. I see myself zip it up, but I could five steps later be like, Oh, but what if it, what if my credit card fell out between there and here? which is literally impossible because my bag was zipped up and my wallet was closed, but OCD is not logical. So I could find myself checking again and again. Um, but for me, the compulsions are more internal. Um, this is difficult to explain. I want to give an example, a real life example. Um, there are, okay. Sorry if this is frazzled. There's a lot to share about OCD, and I'm just trying to give you an overview. We can go a lot deeper into these different topics in future episodes. But with OCD, we call, we call different like OCD experiences different subtypes of OCD. But it's important to remember that OCD is always the same cycle. It's always the same thing. It's always an obsession, distress and anxiety, compulsion to try to make it go away, temporary relief that doesn't last, and doesn't work, and then going back into the obsession and fear, back into the distress, anxiety, back into the compulsions to try to make it go away, back into the temporary relief, on and on and on and on for hours. Um, so f- for me, a real life example that that kind of hits close to home right now is choosing whether to homeschool my kids or put them in a public school, or which school to put them in, period. Um, and the subtype that i would put this category into is is um just right ocd so there's yeah there's so many ocd subtypes that could like they're just ways of describing your experience as someone with ocd that's how we connect with each other in the ocd community is like oh what subtypes do you have i have sexual orientation ocd and i have just right ocd and i have uh contamination ocd those are all different kinds of just terms to describe your experience. So one of my biggest ones is just right OCD. That means you have this nagging feeling inside of you that something is off about your life, that something is not done correctly. And your brain convinces you that you need to try again and again until you get it just right and get that feeling, that elusive feeling of resolve that OCD people do not really get. So the thing about school (laughs) this happened to me a lot in college this was very hard for me um when i was a student i would get so worried about whether or not i was choosing the quote right unquote major and i know So this was dismissed by my school counselors I talked to because they were like, yeah, that's very common for millennials. They're indecisive and they have FOMO and stuff like that. What they didn't understand is that for me, this was a debilitating mental illness. So I would, I had so many interests I wanted to pursue and I would find myself changing majors all of the time, not because I wanted to, but because I was in a frenzied OCD panic. I would be working late at night one night doing homework and I would feel a lot of stress and anxiety as students do when they're crunching they're trying to get things done before a deadline and hoping that they're going to pass their class and blah, blah, blah. I would get hit with this huge amount of anxiety and panic. And because my OCD brain loves to fix things, uh, thinking that it can fix things that it really can't fix, you can't fix a feeling of anxiety. I'm just going to say that (laughs) you can't fix a feeling of anxiety. It's something that will come and then it will go on its own. But as a person with OCD, what I've been stuck in is it comes, you try to fix it away, which doesn't actually allow it to resolve. It doesn't allow it to go away on its own. It teaches your brain, oh, you made it go away. You fixed it. That was good. Keep doing that. And it doesn't work. The anxiety comes right back and you get stuck in this, this pattern of fix it. It's back, fix it. It's back, fix it. It's back. So what I would do is I would be in this moment of panic late at night doing homework. And I would feel like, Oh gosh, what if the reason I'm not enjoying this homework is because I'm in the wrong major. If I was in the right major, this would be a lot more interesting. I would, I would not be struggling so much. I don't think I want to spend the rest of my life doing this. And I would get in this huge cycle of those kinds of thoughts. And so my my compulsive action to neutralize all the fear and the anxiety that was building would be, okay, I'm going to start researching what other majors are available. You can see here there's a problem. I'm on a deadline trying to finish homework that's due probably the next morning or very soon, and suddenly I'm leaving that homework because I'm in such an anxious flurry that I'm not working on it anymore. Instead, I'm researching other major options at the school. I'm thinking like, okay, I don't have to finish this homework anyways, because I'm going to switch my major tomorrow or now, as soon as I can, I'm going to switch my major. So I don't need to finish this assignment. So I would start researching like crazy, what kinds of job, what kind of majors are available and with the majors I'm interested in, what kind of jobs could I get? And then I'm asking these existential questions of would that job make me happy? And this is another subcategory of OCD. We call it existential OCD where you're asking these questions that are impossible to answer, but your OCD is convinced that there is an answer. So I would be like, oh, maybe I could be going to zoology and um, be a zookeeper, but would that make me happy? And the thing is, there is no right answer to that question, but my mind would think there was, and it it would get really deep into searching, what's the right path for me? What's the one right path? Because all the other ones will mess up my life and leave me unhappy and depressed. I was putting this insane amount of pressure on myself to figure it out. So I would search through my majors until the anxiety was so big that I'd be like, okay, I'm just gonna pick one and I think this will make me happy and I'm sure it will, you know, this is gonna work this time. And then I would go onto the school website and I would submit the application right in that moment of panic to switch majors. And sometimes that required like getting signatures or approval. And if it did, I would print the papers and I'd go the next morning run around campus getting people to sign my papers so that I could switch majors and then I'd be like okay I switched majors and then usually after that I would start feeling panicky again of like what did I just do like I'm about to, like I I'm 2 years into this program and I just threw that all away and switched my major like why would I do that and so the panic would come back and I would start trying to switch majors again or I would try to change back to the other major or I would call my mom or a loved one and say hey Okay, this is a whole other OCD cycle right here is I'm calling someone in a moment of panic. So I have an obsession of like maybe the obsession or the intrusive thought or feeling is maybe I'm making the wrong choice. And then all the anxiety and distress hits. And then the compulsive behavior is I'm going to call somebody and ask them to reassure me. And this is called reassurance seeking. And this is a major, huge OCD compulsion that is unnoticed by most people. So reassurance seeking is when you're asking somebody else to say, like, did I do the right thing? Or can you make me feel better? Can you make me feel sure about my decision? So I would call my mom maybe or somebody and say, like, here's what happened. I changed my major. Can you make me feel better? You know, can you tell me that I did the right thing? And of course, they're like, oh, my gosh, what did you do? (laughs) What's happening? Are you sure you want to do this? And for the poor person that you're seeking reassurance from, like they have no idea what's going on in your mind or why you're doing this behavior. It doesn't make any logical sense at all. But in your OCD, you're in survival mode and your OCD is telling you this is what you need to do to survive. This is what you need to do to be happy. This is what you need to do to escape this this overwhelm and depression you're feeling. So it's a pretty nasty cycle. Um, And so here's just, this is just an example of like the unseen OCD cycle of getting caught up in, you can see that most of the things I was doing was invisible to other people. I was doing homework, then I was feeling terrified that I was in the wrong major. Then I was researching different majors, which looks like I'm still doing my homework to other people, right? This is all like very hidden. And it looks like I'm just doing my normal thing when I'm actually having like an internal panic attack and frantically searching for an answer. Um, and then running around school, changing majors, that's more of an outward compulsion, but it's not a typical one that we talk about. So people would not recognize it as that. I was going to get paper signed, change my major, talking to academic counselors. That all looks like very normal millennial student behavior of, oh gosh, I'm making a big choice for my life and I'm not sure about it, you know? But that was more of an external, like outward physical compulsion, but just not one that people would recognize. And then the calling someone and seeking reassurance, that's a very internal um, compulsion. Some more examples of like internal compulsions that happen in someone's head are like whether they're seeking reassurance from somebody else or they might just be seeking reassurance in their own mind of like, am I sure I did the right thing? And yeah, Erica, it's okay. You did the right thing. Kind of internally reassuring yourself. But another thing, a compulsion that happens in your mind is just thinking about something over and over and over again, just getting stuck in this analyzing cycle in your mind. And that's a big one for me. You just are analyzing something in your mind again and again and again, making no progress at all, but feeling this urgent need to keep analyzing anyways. It is exhausting. And the hard thing about this too is people don't see what's happening. So you get into this really lonely space where you feel very misunderstood. You feel very isolated. You feel confused. Like, why do I feel so different than other people? And how come they all seem to be fine? Like, they all look like they're fine, but inside I'm like in this hurricane. I feel like I'm about to be ripped apart and I don't know why. I don't know what's happening. You might have noticed that earlier in the episode, I was going to give an example from my real life about OCD and it was gonna be about choosing school options for the kids. (laughs) In retrospect, I can see that I completely ran away from that topic, (laughs) and instead I focused on my college experience, which really is the same experience I have with choosing um, school options for the kids, except for now I've been through OCD treatment and I have a much better understanding of what's happening and I'm able to avoid being pulled into that cycle as much as I used to be. But I'm okay with the fact that I kind of skipped over that example because it is happening in my life now. And so I think it's a little bit too raw. So thanks for being patient with that. And I hope that the college example um, kind of explained that point that I was trying to make. Okay, so that was a lot of information to absorb and I'm gonna call it for today. (laughs) We'll definitely talk more about OCD in Future episodes, but I really wanted just to give you kind of an overview of what OCD is, um, why it is unrecognized and undiagnosed in many cases. For me, it was undiagnosed for years and years and years and years until I finally got that diagnosis and I had never ever expected that I would have OCD. I had no idea what OCD actually was. And that's back what I said in the beginning. That's why it's important for us to start defining OCD correctly in the way that we use it. Because there are people like me out there who are suffering from this really debilitating illness. And they're suffering in secret. And they have no idea what's going on. And the last label they would connect their situation to is OCD. Because they're seeing OCD portrayed in um, social settings and in media where it's this positive I'm organized. I'm on top of things. I'm perf- I'm a perfectionist, but like in a good way. So we really need to start redefining OCD as this is a debilitating mental illness. This is what it really is. It's this this terrible cycle of getting stuck. And if people could know that real definition, they could start getting um, diagnosed much easier because they could recognize it themselves or have loved ones recognize it and start going in the right direction to get help. So. Anyways, I hope this was helpful. I hope that you got a little bit of an overview of OCD and a little bit of an idea of of why it's such a difficult and debilitating thing. In future episodes, I'd love to talk about different subtypes of OCD, but also about how OCD um, interplayed with my religious practices, which we call scrupulosity. We'll definitely have an episode about that in the future. Anyways, I hope you have a nice day. I hope that, well, <laughs> like I say in the end of my videos, I hope you have a day. And you'll, you'll hear that twice today since I say it in the, the outro as well. But today, I hope you can feel some kindness towards yourself, some empathy towards yourself. I don't know if empathy towards yourself is possible since it's <laughs> since you do feel your own feelings. But definitely some compassion towards yourself. Some compassion to embrace whatever this day brings you. Some self-kindness to be gentle with yourself as you go through the rest of this day. And some self-love to show yourself that you've got your own back. You're going to be there for yourself. Whatever life throws at you, you're going to be there for yourself. You're going to accept yourself and be good to yourself. <laughs> All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. I do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I hope you enjoyed listening today. And you know what? Instead of saying, have a great day, I'm going to say, have a day. It might be a good one. It might not. And that's okay. Keep growing. Keep loving yourself. You've got this.